All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Student Counselor Podcast. I am sitting here today with two very special guests, and I am just so happy that they're here. This is the first episode that I have with two people on the show, and I'm speaking with two people simultaneously. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Please introduce yourself, Dr. Laura and Elisa. Hi, everyone. I'm uh, Laura. I'm a uh faculty member at the University of the Cumberlands, um, and I teach the group counseling course. Yay, hey, which I loved. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and Elisa, how about you? Uh, my name is Elisa. I am a former student of the fabulous Dr. Laura, and she has turned me on to group counseling, which I know we're going to talk about in a little bit. But my background is I have a clinical mental health counseling master's from UC, and I also have the substance and process addiction counseling master's from UC. I'm a um, licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor now and a licensed associate counselor now. And I'm actually also in the PhD program at UC. So I'm really excited. Uh, what are you not doing? <laughs> yes. Yes. Ask my kids. They have a long list of things that mom is not doing because mom is very busy focused on school and work. Yes. I can't imagine, man. Just counselors in general. I hear all the time from people in the field, especially those already practicing. We're always doing all these different things. It keeps us, keeps you guys so busy. I say you guys because I'm not practicing yet, but I can imagine that's my future too. I mean, I'm here already doing a podcast in between school, so <laughs> send help. <laughs> <laughs> what enthusiasm you have for the the profession though that's it's fantastic oh yeah i i love connecting with people helping people so and that's my goal i i was trying to find a podcast when i started that was more geared towards students and i couldn't find one so i was like you know what i'm just gonna start my own <laughs> look at you yeah wow yeah so here we are well i want to talk about and i always like to start there in in um giving the guests an opportunity to to go over their educational background basically mm -hmm. what what where did you go to school what are you mm -hmm. doing and now what, what kind of mm -hmm. jobs you've had i know dr mm -hmm. laura was my professor of course in my group counseling class and we'll talk more about that but want you guys to have the floor and and expand on your field and what you've been doing mm, yeah um as, so I have a, um, a master's in psychology from University of Illinois, Chicago, um, a master's in counseling from Northeastern Illinois University, and then a PhD in counselor education and supervision from the University of Central Florida. Um, I would say my two main things, um, I, I have quite a bit of training in dialectical behavior therapy, and then also um, EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Those are both considered behavioral therapies, which I would never think of myself as a behaviorist, but here we are. Um, <laughs> and so uh, I have worked as a career counselor, clinical mental health counselor. Um, I currently do some work as a trauma therapist in a drug and alcohol treatment center. Amazing. And how long have you been teaching? Oh, wow. Since the dawn of civilization. No, um, since... 20, 2007, so like 15-ish years. Wow. Yeah, a long time. Uh, I mean, I, I got to say, Dr. S, when I was uh, Dr. S, Dr. Laura, I don't know what to call you anymore. But uh, <laughs> Laura, I, I got to say your your class was one of the, my most favorite classes, um, not just because of your style of teaching, but the class itself. I think a lot of people love group counseling. Even before I took group counseling and I interact with a lot of students online or even some students that came on the show, uh, mm. 
all of them speak highly of group counseling. Is that really what, mm -hmm. is that the, the class that you teach the most or the class that you're more passionate about? Well, definitely passionate um, because as a master's student, my group counseling experience really was like transformative. Um, and, 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 and I, you know, I, I still am just so grateful for that time. I also teach, um, gosh, at some point I've probably taught every class in a counseling program, but right now it's mostly group and techniques. Um, I really love the hands-on experience, not, not just lecturing to people for 90 minutes, but you know, showing a skill and having students practice it. Um, and, and so that's what I'm mainly doing now at Cumberland's. Amazing. And uh, yeah, techniques class was also one of my favorites. So cool. yeah. And how did you guys meet each other? Tell me about that. <laughs> how did we meet? <laughs> oh my gosh. You have the floor, I, Lisa. Tell us. That's so funny. I remember <laughs> seeing on my list of of uh, a spring coursework that I had to take group. I had, you know, everything mapped out. And I remember thinking, well, I guess I have to do it. You know, it's certainly <laughs> not on my, you know, it's not one of my interests. I really am interested in individual counseling. And I, I promise, and you know this to be true, Vitor, it's uh, you, you get there and it's the way she lays the class out. Um, it's her engagement. It's her charisma. She makes you want to do group and she makes yeah. it possible and easy and accessible to all of us. Yeah. I mean, she really makes us feel like we, we could um, we can engage and we could do all the things that a group facilitator needs to learn how to do. And she does it so effortlessly. It is kind of funny because when I did finally get to internship and had to demonstrate those skills, um, I realized how effortless she made it because it was a lot harder once I got there. But Again, she was always so accessible uh, and available to all of her students, to me and, and to all of her students. So I did reach out to her and we formed a, a really nice friendship and connection over the years. And uh, she's my go-to person. If I need group curriculum, I actually texted her a couple of weeks ago or emailed her, hey, do you have um, you know, some, uh, some ideas for me? I need to run this group and this is the topic. And she's always available to, to help with that, which is wonderful. It's wonderful to have, you know, professors as resources as we transition yeah. out of the school, you know, and into the environment of actually doing the work. Yeah. That's why I'm like, I was so happy that you guys were open to this idea. Well, first of all, I was very happy when Dr. Laura liked my post on the group that we have on Facebook. I was like, so happy. I was like, oh my God, a professor <laughs> liked my post about my podcast. It felt so cool. Uh, and then I didn't even realize I was going to take your class like right there and then the next semester. And I was like, oh, oh man. And then I felt intimidated. I was like, oh man, now she knows I do this, <laughs> and, you know? And then she brought it up on the first class. She was like, oh, you're the podcast guy. I was like, oh boy. <laughs> uh, you, it's it's funny because I, although I'm like out there, I'm outgoing, I, I do things, you know, I, yeah. I, I have ideas. I can also be shy and intimidated sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. And in that moment, I was like, oh my God, I'm a little scared. But then you made me feel so comfortable. And we had a little brief conversation with other students in the class. And I, I think I was like, hey, would you be open to doing a podcast in the future? And you said, I would love to. And here we are. And now we're connecting. <laughs> And now we're doing a whole episode together, the three of us. So just so happy you guys are here and, and taking the time to to do this. After that, Elisa, did you guys work together through your PhD? I know you're doing a PhD now. I know you had you, you said you took her, her class in the master's. 
and now you went to the PhD. So you facilitated my group. But uh, is there uh, anything you guys I cannot done? Con- I cannot confirm or deny that, Vitor. So, uh, yes, but if I did, hypothetically, it was fantastic. Yeah, um, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> part of our confidentiality. Um, no, but it, it um, group, I just, it was interesting because, like I said, I had an opportunity to lead group or facilitate group in my internship, and I really loved it. And each group I facilitated, I got more and more excited to the point Mm -hmm. where my supervisor at the time said, would you be open to starting an adolescent group? And I, you know, thought hamana, hamana, hamana. And I reached out to Dr. Schmaltz and she said, no, you could do this. You could totally do this. Everything is no big deal to her. No problem. You know, put some ideas down on paper and we'll talk about it. Um, And she had helped me with that. So I just, I felt as if, um, there were more and more opportunities opening up as I enjoyed group and she was really there to help um, just to help nourish those ideas and give me the confidence and keep going. So I ended up um, facilitating group for uh, mental health clients, for addiction clients, for, um, for I currently facilitate um, parent groups, parent support groups, um, like I said, adolescent groups, um, child uh, counseling groups. So I really, it has just, it's run the arc. And I, I know this sounds like, like I'm, I'm, you know, making up a story, but I kid you not. And I know that you had group experience, so perhaps you can relate to this. You know, each group is my new favorite group. I walk in (laughs) and I'm so excited with that population on that day. I -hmm. led group today a couple hours ago. And I tell you, as soon as I walked in, it's like, it just washes over me. I'm just, I'm excited to be present, to be in the moment, to share, to connect, to see the connections form you know, to see them share ideas and coping skills and, um, you know, support, you know, ideas. It's just, it's, it's just, it is magic to witness and to facilitate this. It really is a gift for me. And that's what I always tell my clients, because I I truly mean that from the heart. It's my favorite thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, because I think it becomes everyone's favorite class, or perhaps favorite thing. Not everyone's, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people end up liking it afterwards, based on what I heard and seen. But mm-hmm. there is that hesitation in the beginning that that you're kind of scared and you're if you've never done it before, like I'd never done group counseling before out, mm-hmm. outside of school. Um, so there's that hesitation. So why do you guys think that is? It's 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 most favorite thing, but also the most intimidating at times. Well, I would love to answer that. First, I want to say thank you. You know, this is Laura. Thank you for all the kind words, but it, it's, it's really nothing that I did. It's, it's the, it, it's the topic. It's the experience. Um, it's, it's just so different than other classes, but yeah, the, I was terrified going into my group class. Oh, so many years ago, because I, I think all I knew about group was like, I don't know, things that were shown on TV where it just felt like you would sit there and a light would come on and you'd have to tell all your deepest, darkest secrets and you'd be so exposed and vulnerable. And it's, it's not like that at all. Right. I think, I think that, you know, the more you put into the group, the more you're going to get out of it. But I, I, I think when people take risks and, and trust the group and share things, um, they're usually pretty happy with the outcomes. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. What about you? Is there anything to to add to that? Uh, really, I think she said she really captured it all. I think um, I think it really depends on the energy of the group um, mm-hmm. and being open to the direction that that group wants to go. Um, mm-hmm. Very often, I do go in with topics, but I 
now have a comfort level where I will open it up to the group and say, how are we feeling today? What would you like to talk about? And wherever they want to go, I'm very comfortable going. And I think that's um, part of, I think, what makes it work for me. You know, that's my experience. I think the group appreciates that. Um, and I think my ability to adapt and be flexible makes them comfortable to open up and share. So it really is like this symbiotic relationship. And uh, that's how it works well for me. Yeah. And I, it's, it was funny. One of the, of course, without, I'm not going to go over anything that we've had in my group, you know, of course, for the confidentiality that I've had with my now friends. <laughs> um, but one of the things that I found very interesting from what I was experiencing is because at, at times I often take lead in uh, to, to do things like at work, you know, I'm just the first one to speak up and I noticed that it's sometimes in a in a group setting, and this can also be true in individual counseling. How important it is for you to just take a step back and just let things flow. And I gotta praise Elisa here, Dr. Laura. Dr. Laura, you probably don't know about this, but I'll tell you a little bit about what happened when I was co-leading the group. And again, without sharing any specifics, I felt like I was always trying to fill in the gaps. Mm. Mm-hmm. And Elisa kind of DM me on the side, say, hey, maybe perhaps just let it flow a little bit or just let them connect. And man, it was amazing. Literally, there was no more, there is not, not a better word. It was just amazing that when I was quiet, everything just flowed and everyone was connecting. And it was the first day, I think the first day in the group, perhaps one of the most difficult ones um because everyone's kind of trying to get to know each other how much are we going to share am i going to share a lot this person is not going to share anything who are these people are they gonna yeah can i trust them what are they like are they judging me yeah yeah what do you guys think is one of the like the the more more challenging things of that first day wow i mean i well first i want to kind of acknowledge what you said about being quiet and taking a step back and, and, and how powerful that can be. I think, and I think sometimes as humans, right. And as new students, we feel this urge to be able to like fix things, offer suggestions, make it better, make it so people aren't hurting. And, and, you know, that's a wonderful, you know, characteristic I think to have, but often in counseling, if, if, if we quiet down and we take a step back, that's maybe, maybe where things happen. And, and the same thing is true with teaching. I've, I've come to learn. Um, but going back to your question, what is it about that first day in group? I think because most people are going to come in having no experience with group and having only having, you know, what they've seen portrayed on TV or the movies, and it's usually portrayed incorrectly. Um, and I, I know at least for me, when I was in this experience as a student, it was like I said, this sense that like, I have to share all my deepest, darkest stuff for group to work. And it's, it's just not like that. And so I think, I think what's helpful is coming in with an interpersonal goal, which is what I require in these groups, something that you want to address and something that you're okay talking about. And also knowing that, you know, reinforcing to the students, your grade for this class is not based on how much you disclose. That's not how it works. I will never know what you talk about in your small group. Um, but also emphasizing the more you put into it, the more you will get out of it. But that first day is really full of sizing people up. What is this about? How am and 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 kind of getting anxious and kind of um, 
you know, kind of, kind of really just being anxious. That's what I hear, hear consistently, how anxious students are. The first time they're a group member, the first time they're a group leader. Yeah. Yeah. Were you nervous too, Elisa? <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I, I really was. And I did not have a facilitator at the time who uh, interjected the way I thought to do uh, mm -hmm. with my group. Um, so I did a little bit differently, as you know, as you highlighted. Um, and I wanted to leave it up to each facilitator because it rotates week to week as you go through group um, and ask them if that's um, some support they would like to have. And each person uh, made a different choice. Um, but it was nice that um, I felt giving them that extra support um, or at least offering it to them um, helped to hopefully quell some anxiety. Because um, just like we've all said, it's hard. I mean, it almost feels like the spotlight is on us to almost like dance on the stage, which, mm -hmm. you know, that's the perception. But mm -hmm. like you all have said, that's not what's happening. It's really, really about um, really holding the space and allowing things to unfold organically. And I think the other piece I'd like to share too, I think what I've come to really value in group is authenticity. I think if we can really bring our true selves whoever we are on any given day, we're human, group facilitators are human. You know, I have been transparent appropriately so with clients and said, you know, um, it's a rough day for me. You know, who else is having a rough day? Like, where can we start? Let's do an icebreaker. Let's, let's break this tension a little bit. You know, this type of thing, again, always appropriate and professional, but allowing yourself to be human, I think in front of your clients, especially in a group setting, really allows everyone to feel as equals. And that's how I view it. We're all doing the work together, um, you know, simultaneously. We're, we're all walking through all of the work together. So I think authenticity, I also bring humor. Um, people know me for my self-deprecating humor. And I just think it really helps because it really is true for me. And then they see that side. And I think when I can be my true self as much as I can be on any given day, I think it allows them to be their authentic selves more easily. Yeah. Well, I, I congratulate you there for doing that. Like, like you said, when your facilitator, your facilitator didn't like come in and kind of give you some suggestions. I think I learned more about what it means, like how to co-lead a group. Cause it's such a, it's one experience out of the whole class because we rotated between the other students. So I think I learned more because of the suggestions you gave. So Thank you for that. And I agree. Authenticity is so big. And I think vulnerability too. like mm -hmm. just being open to putting yourself out there and, and trusting your members. I think mm -hmm. for me in, in our group, and I, of course, I can't speak on behalf of everyone, but I think the second or third session is when I felt like we all genuinely care for one another. And we like I was thinking about these people outside of work. <laughs> I mean, outside of, of yeah. outside of the, the classroom, you know, and just thinking about them uh, like th yeah. that person did what she was going to do or he was going to do. Like, oh, man, it was just I was just genuinely caring about them on the second or third session. You were invested, right? You were invested in their life and in their progress. Yeah. And, you know, I um, lost my train of thought. <laughs> Uh, um, I'm sorry. It'll come no, back. No, that's authentic. There it is. It, it's a Sunday night. I love this. And this hey, is it's group. a long authenticity. week. Authenticity. Yeah. Technically, this is a group. You're right. It but, is. Oh, yes. It just came back. So there you go. That, you know, 
I think when you get the idea of the here and now, mm. it all starts to click. So, right, I don't want to sound too academic-y here, but in my class, at least, we watch a very long movie with Gerald Corey and his wife leading a group. And one thing they really emphasize is your reactions to people in the here and now. Because what the group can do is give us feedback about ourselves, those things that everyone sees about us, but we don't see about ourselves. Mm. And it's a little scary. Yeah, it's it can be a little hard to hear. But I think when things are given in a caring, gentle um, manner, we're, we're more attuned to them. So, you know, what, what I, I fear always that happens with a group is somebody, let's say we're in a group right now. And, and Elisa, you've said something that really upsets me and I don't have the ability or the courage or whatever to bring it up right now. And I go home or maybe I process it with my, my spouse, my kids, my dog, whatever. And now we've been deprived of something important that needed to happen in the group, right? Mm. So I try to emphasize when stuff, when you're outside a group and you're still ruminating on something, thinking about something, bring it back to the group. Give the group the opportunity to hear about that. Maybe there's something in the way Elisa communicates that she needs to know about. Or maybe this is triggering stuff from my past, the way a parent spoke to me or something like that. And that's where I think, a lot of the power and beauty of group is. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I completely agree. It's, I was, that was exactly what was happening to me. I was thinking about things outside and bringing it in the next day. It's mm -hmm. just a, a phenomenal experience. And I, I think most students will agree after they, they take that. I got to say, I think, I think you guys will like this. Uh, and I've been planning to, to, to talk about it with you all. I don't think I could have had planned that semester better because not mm. only I, I took group counseling, I was taking addictions class with it, which mm. we were required to like go to like an AA meeting and things like that. So mm -hmm. I was having that experience of group two. Yeah. And it just all kind of came together. I was noticing how those people were being very vulnerable. And I was like, wow. And, and first of all, they were so welcoming to me being in there. Mm. I actually went to a, a closed meeting accidentally. I had no idea. And when they announced it was a closed meeting, I was like, I'm sorry, I'm a student, I, I can leave. But they're always like, no, please stay, like, stay here. Like, we'll love to have you. Right. And I, I think I just noticed how welcoming those people were and how vulnerable they were for the situation, wanting to talk to each other. Mm -hmm. And I brought that to, to my group experience in class. I'm like, hey, I, I can do the same. We're all students here. We're all learning, right? Yeah. Why not do the same over here? Yeah, I love it. I love it. So you know, they extended, um, you know, they, they greeted you with open arms at that meeting and, and how cool is that? And, and, and that, and that gave you something that you brought to your group in class. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. I couldn't have planned that semester, but I was just so happy. <laughs> <laughs> and I think Lisa, you mentioned that you do a lot of, um, addictions, uh, groups now. Is that what you said earlier? Yes. Um, that is some of the groups and they are, um, well, between, between the three of us and whoever's listening, um, <laughs> they are some of my most favorite. Um, <laughs> I feel like people in recovery are just ready and hungry to do the work. That's mm -hmm. how they resonate for me. And they're just eager to, um, to sort of strip away whatever is in their space and get to the nitty gritty and just come as they are and be themselves. And they really want to learn. 
Um, they're really interested in the psychoeducation. They're really interested in applying it. They're interested in being held accountable. Um, I just find them to be a wonderful population to work with. And I didn't start out uh, having an interest. It's so funny, really, how this whole journey has unfolded. I started in clinical mental health counseling, loved it, had the opportunity for the substance and process addiction counseling masters. And I thought, uh, let me see what that's about. Uh, you know, <laughs> thinking I only wanted to do individual counseling to then, you know, taking stumbling on this group class, which was a you know requirement um, that I thought I was just going to fulfill and move on. But it's amazing. I think that's what's amazing about this journey. If you if you allow it um, just to sort of let it unfold and be open to new experiences, what you can learn, what populations might interest you. Um, I didn't think I was going to go into the Ph.D. program. You know, early on, I was strictly counseling and um, some people spoke to me and said, you know, you really seem to enjoy this lens and this would give you an opportunity to you know, to be able to do that lens, to be able to teach and advocate. And I thought to myself, all right, well, I don't know exactly how this is all going to work. But again, just being open to the process, I think is is huge. Yeah, amazing. And um, that's that brought up a question when I was thinking about like that addictions, you know, class with with my group counts uh, class. So how different is it to host a co-lead a, a group with someone else or not even just leading a group yourself, you know, in a classroom environment, was we all know, like, we're, we have to do this. How different is it to actually go out there and do it? <laughs> Honestly, I, I, I really think if you have good support, anything is possible. I happened to land at a phenomenal site with an amazing supervisor. Mm. I, I could not have I always tell her and I still actually she's still my external supervisor. Um, I still work with her because I'm getting my second license and she is supervising me. But I always tell her I could not have scripted this better. I mean, I had no idea of her background, her experience. You know, it's very hard when you do try to find internship sites uh, for you know that portion of the program. It can be daunting. There's a lot of phone calls to make. You're not quite sure. Many of us, I shouldn't say all of us, but many of us are cold calling different facilities and not quite sure where it's going to land. I just was fingers crossing it, making, you know, call after call after call after call. It was also um, during the beginning of COVID, if I recall, or maybe prior to COVID starting. I feel like it's all a little bit fuzzy right now, but um, it was at that time when it was, you know, a little bit challenging. So I really think, um, you know, it happened to work out for me that I had that good support. Um, I also had great coworkers there. I ran a, um, a, a an IOP, um, which is, um, you know, part of the recovery groups that are run uh, for people navigating addiction and uh, and recovery. And I, I had a phenomenal co-facilitator and he was, I still call him the master reflector. He was just so wonderful in that area. Like we each had our skill set. We allowed each other to shine in that area and offer, offer the client what we were good at. Um, so I think really just, you know, finding the good people. Again, Dr. Laura consistently, um, I decide, I thought actually thinking about COVID, I remember when I um, was struggling trying to help my children who had no longer, um, they were no longer going to in-person school, like many children around the country, and they were struggling. And I reached out to her and she's like, oh, just run a group. And I'm like, "What? I don't understand. What, what do you mean? She's like, well, come on, just do it virtually and just have your kids and their friends. It'll be great. You can do it. And I was like, what? Um, really? Threw, oh, yes. Oh, oh yeah, my God. Was. That's amazing. That's true. Because they, they're probably other kids feeling the same way. 
It, it was. wasn't a counseling group, you know. It was uh what would you call it? Just a, a meetup, right? For yeah. the kids to be less Perfect. less isolated. Yeah. And it, it turned out to be pretty phenomenal, didn't it, Elisa? It was great. It was great. Yes. And thank you for clarifying because there are distinctions. It really was just a meetup, an opportunity for kids to get together and see each other because they went from seeing each other every single day in school, obviously, that, yeah. to zero contact. But <laughs> this gave them a way to have connection. Um, but it still felt like I was, quote unquote, running a group, which I really didn't have much experience in at the time. And she was available to to walk me through that process and just give me the confidence. So to sort of circle back and answer your question, I feel like really... Um, it is scary, but if you align yourself with good people, good support, and really be comfortable being yourself, authentically you, knowing your intention is good, if you stumble, if you make a mistake, whatever you do, it will be okay. And that's also really, I feel like the most, people take nothing from this. We're all human, right? So if you're going to model grace to yourself, mm -hmm. Think about the gift you're giving your clients. I always tell clients, you need to show yourself compassion and grace. And really, if I'm a true uh, group facilitator, a good group facilitator, I need to show that to myself in the room and out of the room to model that for them. Yeah. I be, I, and I ask that because I I feel that, that pressure now because I'm going to start hopefully mm -hmm. practicum in the summer next year. And I know that with within practicum and internship, we need group hours. And I know I just left group and I'm like, you're excited and pumped. Like I got this love group, but then it's like, oh man, now this is like, this is real now. Not that it wasn't real before, but like, this is not students anymore. You know, yeah. this is real people. And I have to feel like I, it, it's, it's probably me again. Like I have to cater to them. I have to give them the solutions. And I know mm. it's not at all about that, but I feel like a lot of students think that. So how do we, oh, how can we help them <laughs> not think that? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, I, I, I mean, honestly, I can still remember the, like the days leading up to my first day of practicum, I was like rereading all my textbooks because I felt like, I don't know enough. I don't know enough. <laughs> and, and I'm not, I, I, I don't know. I think to some extent putting some pressure on yourself is a good thing, right? It, it's, it, it's, you know, it, it, it keeps you in check. It makes you strive to be better, but there's a point and, um, you know, having knots in your stomach and losing sleep going into practicum isn't, isn't what we want. That's, that's not good, but how do we, yeah. How do we reduce that pressure? Um, that's such a great point. And it's something we talk about, we're talking about in my techniques class, a bit of how do we not want to rush in and fix it? And I, I mean, I do silly things. I make them chant together. Like I will not run in and fix it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that sounds like a fun class. <laughs> well, it gets a little crazy, but you know, and I just like, let's look at Carl Rogers. Let's look at what he did, you know, and, um, and that unconditional positive regard and, and where that, that can lead clients. But we really, we really try to practice letting people sit with the painful things without us with, you know, without us wanting to rush in with a solution and that that's hard. And it, and it, and I think it takes time. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly takes time for me. I need a lot more practice, but uh, I'm hoping I get a good supervisor and facilitator yeah. uh, that, that really puts me in my place. I tell myself that all the time, even when I was doing my process and techniques class, um, 
constantly battling with my mind just like take a step back i i i don't mm-hmm. i i'm just overly anxious i just i, mm-hmm. I move fast i do things just get it done and I, that can not always be the best approach in counseling like that i have to take a step back so that's very valuable information i appreciate it you both well you have self-awareness you know that'll take <laughs> yeah. you everywhere so yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. I'm working on it. I go to therapy. Actually, I'm in. I'm doing EMDR right now. Um, I know you you, you talked a little bit more about that. Um, I think that's actually a valuable question. How does um different techniques come into play during group? Oh, yeah. <laughs> go yeah, ahead. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Alicia, you want to take that? I feel like I want to throw that to my processes and techniques professor. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> honestly, I, I do a lot of processing and a lot of psychoed. I think what I use often, if I had to sort of select a technique, um, and I would say it's sometimes it's conscious and sometimes it's just muscle memory, just how I sort of engage is using motivational interviewing. Mm. and trying to really help the client get to where their goal is it's not my goal it's their goal but often it's evident to the group where they're looking to be and how do we get them there and I always tell them and again I don't know if this is a technique exactly as you're thinking it but we talk about holding each other accountable we also talk about in holding each other accountable um, if things don't work um, if you have a goal say from one week to the next and something doesn't happen the way you want it to, that's not failure. We're going to look at that together. We're going to, we're going to figure out why that didn't happen. Um, So I I always tell them, please leave your, and they laugh at me, please leave your shame bag at the door. I don't want your shame bag in the door. We're not bringing that in here. And now we're just going to, we're just going to sort of peel it back and look at it together. um, More like we're um, observing and, um, and learning together what's working and what's not. So again, I don't know if that's traditionally classically technique like you're referring to, but that's a lot of what I use personally. Maybe Dr. Laura can speak to something a little bit differently. No, that's great, Elisa. I, th- I think techniques and group, right? We're using all those things we learned in techniques, you know, open-ended questions, reflection of feeling, all that stuff. But I think the magic comes when we kind of, All right, I think of it like this, like vertical versus horizontal processing, right? In vertical processing, we're going deeper into one person's story. In horizontal processing, we are getting a little bit of the person's story, but then we're linking in others. And so that's, I think, when when where the where the power is getting people's here and now reactions. Hey, um, Jim just shared some, you know, whatever about his marriage falling apart. Sally, what was that like for you? So the Mm. more we pull in people, right? um, Especially when you notice a reaction, right? Sorry to cut you off, but when you notice someone is feeling a certain way about that topic. Yeah, you got it. Like, um, you know, Susie, I noticed when Bill spoke, you crossed your arms and looked away. What came up for you in that moment? Mm Mm-hmm. And the beauty is over time, um, if you come on with strong leadership skills early, I think over time, the group figures out how things work and your role, you know, you have to do less and less and less because the group has, has come to understand how this all works, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
how do you do that with those people that don't want to share? Week after week, you maybe you have some people that they're there for mandated reasons. They they don't want to share and they don't want to talk. How do you get those people to open up? Ooh. <laughs> so um, yeah, I I so I you know right now I lead. The, I mean the kind of groups I'm affiliated with are are you know it's students, not mm-hmm. so much with with like clients, especially mandated clients. Mm-hmm. Elisa would know more about that, but um, I I think when um, when other members share what it's what happened here's something here's a point people project things onto the quiet person so if you don't say much people are projecting they're thinking things about you like oh he or she is judging me he or she doesn't like me and so you know people start to feel maybe a little bit resent to towards the person that doesn't talk or mm-hmm. at the very least curious about why they're not talking. So when we can get group members to say things like, you know, in the here and now, you know, Bob, you, you never speak up. And I find myself wondering what you're mm. thinking about all this or to have, you know, the group leader to do, to, to, to say that, you know, Bob, I just wonder what came up for you when so-and-so spoke and, you know, we can never, force people to talk we can't kick them up because they don't talk but i think when um they start to understand their impact on others by being silent that could lead to some disclosure yeah i agree elisa please share (laughs) um i'm just smiling because i feel like um, i'm in her classroom again learning learning more um and i love it i feel like she reinforces aspects that i haven't thought about for a while and i forgot to implement so i appreciate what she just shared um i think what what i was thinking of it's interesting is um after i know my clients for a little bit um i can be a little playful so sometimes we'll talk about a topic and i might say you know certainly um no one's going to be forced to share um, you know, you guys obviously do like we always do, do what you're comfortable. And then I go into the topic and I go, Bill, I'm not going to call on you, but I really would like to know your, your coping skill, but I'm not going to ask you, you don't have to share if you don't want to Bill. but we're all really, and sometimes we'll start chuckling and feel comfortable. So sometimes I can use a little humor in it, but again, it depends on the client, the dynamic, the group, how long Bill has been part of the group, et cetera. So I'm very careful with that. And that's something that I've only tried, I would say the last six months ago, since six months or so, and it's gone very well. Um, The other thing is I tell clients, especially clients that we don't have that dynamic with that I think learning um, happens no matter how you choose to participate in group. You know, I never want people to feel forced or that it has to look one way. There are people that come in and, you know, it's heavy for them. There's a lot happening. I will see them sitting and crying. I'll just make sure they have their tissues, but there's no need for them to share if they're not in the space to do so. They are learning just from listening to other people process when they're ready. I trust that they will share. So I know I sort of sounded like I said, two opposite things, but that I think is really true for group. You really have to learn how to read the energy of the room, understand the dynamic, know the people, and see what works for that group. There's certain times that one way will work and other times that a different way will work, but you'll get there, I promise you. And I think it's more like you were asking earlier, like how will you know how to fill the si- when to fill the silence or when to let the silence just be? I think um, the more you do it, the more comfortable you will get. Um, and I actually was 
thinking when you guys were talking about this, I kid you not, I had one adolescent group, 47 minutes. We had an hour group, 47 minutes. Nobody had anything to share. And I watched their ceiling fan. It was a, a virtual group. And <laughs> I just said to them, listen, I have sat in silence like, you know, uh, a really long time. And uh, this isn't going to be a problem for me. I said, so I will wait, you know, and I made it funny. And, they, you know, I heard a couple of giggles, um, <laughs> but we waited. And finally, someone said, OK, fine. I have to. And it was great. Now, of course, it was only whatever it was, you know, 12 minutes left. But we processed. But a couple of times in there, I said, you know, do I have to get up and tap dance? Like, let me know what I can do to break the ice, but I'll wait. Um, oh, wow. and I waited. Um, and I always remember that like it was okay. And I wasn't angry. I wasn't scared. I wasn't mm -hmm. upset. There was no emotion off of me. This was their space and their group. If that's where they were, it's okay. I'm here to be in that space with them. I'm just hoping that doesn't happen to me during practical and internship, Elisa. <laughs> I, <laughs> You'll be uh, great. That's like everyone's worst fear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, man, that that that's so interesting. Perhaps they needed that. They needed that silent to to see, to reflect, and what they can talk about. And perhaps it was only twelve minutes. Yeah, but maybe the next session. Now they are started engaging from the start. Of course, I don't know, but just my my thinking here, and yeah. it, it's okay. And it just happened to work that way, and and that's fine. And maybe they needed the quiet. You know, these are children that um, have their most of them. I can't say all, but I know most of them have their electronics taken away while they're in group. It's almost mm -hmm. like decompression time. Like, again, I think the most important thing, none of this is personal. You know, when things happen in group, it, it's not it's not um, any one person's fault or any, this. It's just what's supposed to happen in that group. I don't know. That's how I view it. Um, that's sort of the space I hold. It's not a right or wrong, good or bad. It, it just is what it is. And I recognize there might be other things that are beneficial that are happening from the silence for these, for these, you know, clients. So, um, yeah. I'm open to that. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you, um, you guys, a question as far as activities goes in groups, because I don't think we had, we, of course we did the, the icebreaker, you know, reflecting on things from the previous session, but at, like actual activities, because I've seen a lot of group brochures that they offer that, hey, today we're going to do this. And I don't know, like, mm -hmm. nothing comes to mind now. But how do you, how do we, um, what kind of activities are, you know, are people actually doing in groups? That is such a great question. Um, and, and I want to just say this, you know, remember, right, there's different kinds of groups. And the kind we do in class is like an interpersonal growth group or a process group. But what you are likely to do in internship or practicum is a like a psychoed group where so in a, in a like a counseling group, you wouldn't really have activities because we activities can kind of be a crutch. Um, but in a psychoed group, you know, where you might have 40 clients, you might have a it's almost more like teaching a class. And mm. in that case, you absolutely want activities. Um, there, I know there are lots and lots and lots and lots of books out there that provide activities. Um, so, you know, the, the, I, I do do one group where I work and it's um, honestly more of a lecture. It's, it's really, it's such a bit, it's a, it's an auditorium. And so it's more like me providing information than, than what we traditionally think of what happens in groups. 
Um, but I, what about you, Elisa? What kind of, do you use activities commonly? I do um, uh, in a couple different ways. So I have a DBT group that I run and that has a um, like a binder of activities that I must follow. So mindfulness, mm. distress tolerance, they're very interesting and they're adaptable. You know, you can use them in other groups, but that's just the DBT track in one of the jobs where I work. Um, and then um, there's wonderful resources online, therapist aid, um, different resources you can look um, if you wanted to have um, activities based on certain topics. Um, so also I would say connect with your peers because often they'll be running groups um, with different activities at their sites. And it's wonderful to share resources or create a master database that you guys can you know, pull from um, at, you know, even beyond internship, which might be wonderful. But yeah, I would say that's, you know, Google is our friend. It's amazing what you can find really with just Googling a topic. Um, so I would say that that's probably a good, you know, a good way to start. Yeah, I see a lot of the mindful ones. So I'm just imagining everyone is at the end just doing some mindful exercises. And, and that's, that's interesting. You know, I, I've never done a group like that. But that, that could be really cool if everyone's up to it and, and kind of doing it. So definitely something I would be very curious to see how it plays out in the counseling setting and in the psycho ed kind of group. So um, does do you think the activities work well, work better with kids, perhaps like children? I, I I think there's activities that can be powerful with any age, you know, um, and, and like, like Elisa said, you know, there are, there are so, so many resources available, you know, you don't even have to spend money just, just doing a Google search. Um, but yeah, I, I think with kids, we might want something a little bit more structured, certainly mm. in the beginning. What do you think, Elisa? You know, I tell you, um, the kids have surprised me. I mean, I see children as young as eight, nine years old, and they're coming in knowing the lingo. Like, they'll say to me, uh, I have some processing or I had some distress tolerance <laughs> issues over the week. And I, I just like my head wants to work oh, around. Wow. I go, oh, okay. I go, let's get started. Who wants to go first? They all have their hands raised. It's interesting. I find that younger group is very eager and interested in doing anything. Like they'll do mm. an activity, they'll um, anything, they'll do a craft, they'll do processing. Sometimes the tougher group might be the, the teenagers, you know, the 15, 16, 17 um, age range, not, not impossible. Again, you can get, you know, we can get them um, interested as well, but I would say that's probably the more, you know, difficult or potentially challenging um, population to get engaged potentially. Um, and then, yeah, the adults, like Dr. Laura said, I think um, it really depends on the group. And I think um, sometimes having a combination keeps it interesting for them. I mm. like to keep it interesting. I like to keep them guessing. Uh, I will say I didn't think icebreakers were going to be that big of a deal, but um, they love good icebreakers and they get angry at me if I don't have good icebreakers. So I will tell you um, to make that a part of your routine and they look forward to it. It really helps them relax and bond and giggle with one another. I mean, with the two, two billion, listen to me, two million, the $2 billion lottery, um, we, were, we were laughing, right? Because we all went around and just talked about how we would spend that money. And actually, <laughs> that's a good one. one. Of, <laughs> it was awesome. And one of the group members, one of the first group members said, um, 
and I'll, so I'll say it this way. So one of the group members said, I would like to, I'll be taking care of everybody in this room if I win the money. And we, they all were laughing and they thought, oh my God, like, how could I follow that guy? That was fantastic. And all I could think of, <laughs> can you imagine us all holding the check? Like people say, how do you guys know each other? I, I, I who, what, you to me? Like, I don't, I don't know anyone. Like, I, just, how would we even, you know, and we giggled about that. And so That's I think icebreakers could be a really fun way to, um, to really introduce an activity, let the guard down, particularly if you have groups as I do, that have established members and the new members rotating in. Sometimes there's cohesion with the existing group members, but the new group members sort of feel like, you know, not really part of the pack yet. So there's a way to, I think icebreakers are a wonderful way to put everybody on the same, you know, on the same level, if you will, um, giggling about the same topic and sharing information about the same ideas. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Oh, that's such a good one. That's, <laughs> I'm sure everyone had a lot to say about that and lucky guy that did win that Powerball. But um, I, I want to go back to something that um, Dr. Laura kind of mentioned, the word structure really came to mind. Uh, and I think Elisa doing our, um, when you were facilitating our group, um, you perhaps gave an example about this. But um, I, I always think about how that you know, how structure comes to play in a setting that's like a community health setting or an addiction setting, or just in a setting that is not your own. Because, like, you know, as a clinician, if you're doing, you have your own private practice, you want to hold a group, you kind of do your own thing. But how different is it and how structural is it that these companies make these groups? Hmm. Elisa, <laughs> we can start there. <laughs> okay. Um, I think it depends on the facility for sure. Just like, you know, just what you alluded to, everyone is different. Um, any place I've ever worked has always been very um, forthcoming about the expectations, which has been nice. It's been very clear. As an example, the DBT track, this is the binder you will use. This is the flow. This is how many pages you're going to do per group. This is the homework that will be assigned. This is the homework you're gonna go over next time. So it's very, 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 very clear. Um, and other groups, are really, um, it's interesting, free reign. I work at an acute um, acute center and uh, for a child, adolescent and adults. And um, and they really tell me just do what, do what you want really every single time I'm there, um, which could be daunting. But again, that's where I sort of go in with an idea, but then say to the group, you know, how are we feeling today? What would you like to talk about? So it's very organic and spontaneous. So I think the place that you work at should give you those that guidance and that that framework. Yeah. Do do you think, uh, Dr. Laura, that sometimes if it's too structured, that sometimes it it can um be a little bit hard for, for the facilitator? Or do you think it makes it a little easier? Boy, I mean that just depends so much on on the participants, the the kind of group. I think a lot of structure early on helps with people's anxiety, you know, they know what the routine is going to be. Um, but, but you're right, like really rigid structure on and on could, could hamper spontaneity, but I would still have something built in like mm -hmm. at least always starting with an icebreaker, always closing with some kind of checkout thing. You know, what did, how do you feel like, what's one word that describes how you feel now that we're at the end of the group or what's one thing you learned about yourself in this group? I, I would probably always have that as a minimum, um, but but particularly, I think for people who really have no experience 
being a client of any sort, having that kind of structure can alleviate a lot of anxiety. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I even for like you said, the the client and also the facilitator. If it's a newer clinician, it's, never done this before, or not yeah. not the best at it, or perhaps just need more training on it, it's it just kind of helps. Um, but I think some yeah. flexibility to kind of to bring that authenticity again. That's why I asked this question. I think that's really important. So you can have, you can kind of flow from there and just go with the flow. Yeah. And thinking about practicum and internship, you know, I, my hope is that mostly when you're doing a group, they have you with somebody else. Like I, I don't expect that most places would just throw you into a group by yourself. Hopefully, but, hopefully you're right. Because <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine that is a big source of anxiety for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but now no conversation about group would be complete without me bringing up Irv Yalom, of course. And so for those who, you know, are are into group or even if you're not into group, um, I, I think reading the works of Irv Yalom. Um, I love you know, The Gift of Therapy, one of my favorite books. Oh, Isn't he man. great? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so he has a book out, The Theory and Practice of Group Psychotherapy, that's probably in its like 15th edition. And you can get an older edition, you can get it cheap. I think that would be a staple for anyone um, going into the field, honestly. And then in class, we read the Schopenhauer Cure, mm -hmm. um, you know, which is the story of people in group. But but when we think about things like the, you know, the um, therapeutic factors related in group, you know, that is directly the work of Irv Yalom. Um, yeah. And I, I think he just really helps illuminate these ideas and helps them, you know, be accessible to, to us. Yeah. I, I read the gift of therapy for my process and techniques class that I took, uh, which was like, like my second semester in the program. And I wasn't familiar with his work and I really loved it. And even though it was, um, it wasn't focused directly on group, that book, I took a lot of that into the group class as well. Like the here and now that he talks a lot about that and took a lot into a lot of that work into the group counseling. So yeah, I agree. I love his work and I, I definitely got to check out more as I'm just kind of like a newbie to it. <laughs> and there's a lot of good info there. Um, and, and last but not least, because I know we can stay here forever. I wanted to ask you guys one more thing. Um, as far as like putting a group together, and um, and I don't mean to brag, but I know that uh, Dr. Laura, when I sent my brochure, you for some reason re you really liked the brochure I did. Um, how important is that for like just because that's the first time <coughs> that the participant is seeing about the group and what is going to be involved in the group, in the activities, in the in the weekly schedule. So how important is it that introduction of the, the group in a brochure or in other forms that we may have online these days? Oh, wow. I love that. And I do remember your brochure and it was <laughs> fabulous. I think, you know what? I, I wish like just we had better understanding as therapists of some basic business things, marketing being among them. Um, you know, tip, how would you typically advertise a group? Um, you know, in this day and age, it's more likely to be probably a website or a psychology today ad. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it is, I think it is important that you make it seem like a worthwhile 
experience for people and that you, you know, are, are, you know, clear about what they can expect from the group and, and know what your background is and who you are. But also I think, you know, the, the brochure would get somebody's attention. The psychology today would get somebody's attention. But I think then what you want to do is have an individual meeting with each potential group member, ideally, mm. and get to know them and, and they get to know you and you see really if they're, if they're a good candidate for group, because not everyone is right. Um, you know, we, we don't want to have in, in a group, maybe people that are unable to exchange and, you know, engage in a two-way exchange when they talk, you know, people that are highly self-centered might not do real great in groups. Same with people who are paranoid, psychotic, suicidal. So Mm. I, I think, I think that brochure is great for getting people's attention, but then you want to meet with them first. I love that. And even thought about that. Um, is that something that, you do in uh in your work too elisa or is that something you've done or considered to uh, at this time uh i am not in private practice but i look forward to being in private practice and one of i think the highlights that i'm looking forward to is facilitating group um but i love what dr laura said i think it's so true not everyone particularly if you're going to be doing this as part of your private practice not everyone really is is um is is ready for group um, you know, just because they want to be doesn't mean it's de- necessarily the right fit. And we want to make sure that all members of the group um, have a valuable experience, have, have a good experience. So I think she makes great points. I mean, sometimes we don't have the ability to do that. So that's why I'm hesitating. I'm thinking, well, you know, where I work currently, I do see a wide range of, unfortunately, you know, people that perhaps aren't the best fit for the group. Um, but they're, um, you know, in transition, perhaps they're going to be at the facility for a couple of days and they are part of the group. So we'll have to make it work. So I think what Dr. Laura said is, is, you know, hundred percent true. Definitely. If you can organize your own group, I think that's the way to go. And if for some reason you're working at a site or as a, at a facility that doesn't, um, enable you to screen the candidates, I think it's important to you know, recognize that uh, it might be it might be a little bit more challenging, but certainly not impossible. You can give everyone, um, you know, somewhat of a good group experience, um, you know, even without that initial screening. Yeah, that's true. And sometimes it, 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 it's what they need. And it's if, if they're there, at least they're seeking help. Right. Um, perhaps it, it leads them to individual therapy afterwards, too. You never know. Um I wanted to, to finish off by letting you guys have the floor to give students tips um, there, you know, regarding group. If they're just getting into group or perhaps they're taking groups uh, class next semester, anything you can recommend to them about the group experience or just leading a group in general? Oh, I love that question. <laughs> um, I, you know, boy, there's so much I could say, but, but, I think more than anything, you know, bring your authentic self to this. You, you know, assume good intentions of your peers, of your classmates and take a risk, you know, and, and this is an, this is a learning opportunity. If if you make a mistake, so what? It's, it's fine. You learn from it and move on. I think grad people drawn to graduate school tend to be perfectionist, kind of type A, and, and when we make mistakes, we can be really, really harsh on your, on ourselves. And I think this applies to everything in a counseling program. Um, cultivate kindness to yourself. 
take risks. And it's so cliche, but I have to say it, trust the process. Yes, I love that. I love that. How about you, Elisa? What are your tips for students just getting into groups? Could I just point my finger and say what she said? I mean, that was, <laughs> you, you, you checked all the boxes, Dr. Laura. That was perfect. I love it. I, right? I mean, yeah. she hit it all. I really, I kid you not, I don't think I could add anything. Um, just reinforcing what she said, the authenticity, taking risks, trusting the process, aligning yourself with, you know, great professors like Dr. Laura and people you're comfortable with to reach out if you have questions or need support. I think UC has been very good to me. And I've been so happy, you know, being a part of this school. And I have just, um, I really made wonderful connections with the professors. And I, I truly feel um, comfortable reaching out to, to just about all of them to say, you know, hey, can you give me a little advice here? Can you, you know, help me, you know, conceptualize this? Um, they've all been been very formative in my learning and um, just giving me the confidence to move forward. So I encourage students that that's the only last piece I think I could add. Just um, just you're you're part of a community at UC. Utilize the community and and utilize the resources in all of us. And for all oh, of least students not. too, if you're listening in other schools, like you're there, take advantage of that community and connect with your peers. Right? Wouldn't you say? Yeah, you are not a burden to your professors. They they want to know who you are. They want to you know, have, have, have a connection with you and, and feel like they're supporting you. So don't, you know, don't not reach out to them because, oh, they're too busy. Oh, I don't want to be a burden, this and that, but, you know, you're paying tuition to get involvement from these people. Take advantage, take advantage. And that being said, I think I took too much advantage of you guys. <laughs> no way. No, this has been so fun. Um, and, um, yeah. And thank you for demonstrating just enthusiasm and interest. Those things are going to take you far. Oh, I appreciate I, it. That's what I just wanted to say as well. I, I'm so impressed truly with your initiative that you're taking to try to, you know, educate yourself, educate others. You couldn't find a podcast. You created your own. I'm just, I'm just so inspired by you and, and your work inside of that group. We can only speak about each other. Wink, wink. Um, it was outstanding. You did an outstanding job. You're going to knock it out of the park in practicum and internship. I'm so excited for you. I really, really am. You will go far. Oh, thank you so much, guys. You guys are too kind. I, I really appreciate it. I appreciate your time just being here with me. I learned a lot from it, and i just just happy to pass that on to other students at UC or other students across the country because, man, I'm growing the following, and I'm happy about it. It's it's just so rewarding yes. to, to help people, and, and people reach out to me, and they have questions. I have students, they are undergrad students, and just, you know, touching their toes in the water of, of finding out what their program is going to be like, and they're already reaching out to me, and and connecting with me on Instagram and things like that. So um, I do have uh, like a, a social media page. If you guys are ever there, it, it's the student counselor podcast page is um, on Instagram. It's Instagram at whatever they do. The thingy <laughs> student.counselor.podcast. And a lot of people reach out to me there. Uh, and I, and it's, it's been a, a very rewarding thing to do. And I'm really glad I did. And I'm glad I found people like you guys that are able to come on the show, speak with me and all the other guests that I've had before. So thank you again, really, for being here, taking your one hour of your Sunday evening. I know it's not always the most ideal time, but I'm glad you guys did it. 
Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank and I you. hope to stay connected with both of you. Honestly, thank you. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Thank you so much. All right, guys. You guys have a great night. Bye-bye. <laughs> All right, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye.